This is Commissary Live. I'm Graham Lynch and welcome to the show. Today we've got two big interviews. We'll be speaking with Sean Clark, who's the Chief Revenue Officer of Swoop. Um, pretty exciting telco, um, pretty new off the blocks and, and doing some really interesting things, particularly in fixed wireless. We'll also be speaking with Luke Coleman, who's the Director of Government Relations at Focus, and about uh, his company's contention that the universal service subsidy system in Australia is broken, needs to be fixed, and that LeoSats potentially provide a solution for uh, dealing with the massive costs of universal service here. But first up, I would like to welcome the executive editor, in fact, the award-winning executive editor of Comms Day, Mr. Rowan Pearce. Welcome, Rowan. I'm blushing as usual. Hello, Graham. Now, just to, I mean, obviously we don't do these audio podcasts in full colour, but indeed Rowan is blushing right now. And um, Rowan was awarded the Telecommunications Journalist of the Year by the um, IT Media Awards um, uh, last week. And uh, and a well-earned, a, a, a well-earned um, win. Um, congratulations, Rowan. Thank you. <laughs> so um, with, with, with that... Um, Obviously, we had a federal budget uh, last week, and there was quite a bit of telecommunications um, content in that budget, um, over, over about a billion dollars of, of funding for various projects, um, mobile black spots, NBN fixed wireless, and so on and so forth. And over the past week, the communications minister, Michelle Rowland, has been out on the hustings promoting all these announcements. Tell us what she's been up to, Rowan. Yes, it's been a, been a bit of a blitz for the minister, really. Um, I guess some of the context for me is in a kind of budget where, you know, people have had mixed reactions to it. I feel like the comms spending is like one of those kind of like really, from the government's perspective, kind of unambiguous good news story because there's a lot of winners in the public. So, yes, the minister's been very busy. Um, earlier this week, uh, she was off to Tasmania to promote the plan for a audit of mobile coverage, which is the one... Um, Obviously, a pre-election pledge where they're planning to use a street of host vehicles fitted out with mobile coverage measurement devices to get a sense of like um, how accurate, I guess, coverage like uh, the coverage maps produced by telcos are. Um, then yesterday, uh, um, the minister was back in uh, regional New South Wales on a farm promoting the launch of the government's on-farm connectivity program, as well as our uh, funding for the ongoing operations of the regional tech hub. And then this morning, um, uh, Roland was in uh, South Nowra with a local member promoting the kind of $400 million fund, which would be focused on uh, improving regional mobile coverage, particularly on highways and roads, as well as in regional communities, and also supporting kind of um, resilience initiatives. So it's been a couple of, like, it's been a very busy week for the minister, I guess, like you said, there was a lot of kind of comms funding in the budget, really. Um, of course, last month we also saw um, the minister promoting the um, the $2.4 billion to support the um, FTTN to FTTP upgrade programs. So, yeah, I think from the government's perspective, this is kind of one of those things where, you know, they they can really get the minister out there um, telling people that we are really throwing money to solve some of your problems that you face every day. Interesting stuff there. And, of course, later on in the show, we'll be, as I mentioned, we'll be talking to Luke Coleman from Focus, who's arguing against some of these schemes and things that they need a bit of a revamp, but uh, uh, obviously not in the um, current financial year. <laughs> anyway, thanks for the update, Rowan. Cheers.
Okay, now moving on, we're joined by Sean Clark, the Chief Revenue Officer of Swoop. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you, Graham. Pleasure to be here. Now, you've just flown in from Perth, haven't you? I have, yes. First flight this morning. So. I'd, I'd, like, I'd, like, I'd like to say just to see us, but I'm sure you have other reasons <laughs> to be here. Now, the reason you come in to talk to us is because uh, Swoop are the top sponsor of the Comms Day Wholesale Forum, which is taking place at the Fullerton Hotel on November 8 and 9. Thank you for your support for our show. Sean. No, we're really excited by the, uh, the forum as well, and obviously, yeah, to be here today. Yeah, and... and we thought we'd get you in to have a bit of a chat because we, we want to hear what, what's happening at Swoop. And I guess for listeners who aren't too familiar with the company, let's start with the story of Swoop. Who, when did it start? Who founded it? Okay, How did you get to where you are now? Story, sort of, we listed just about a year and a half ago. Actually, it was in June last year. Um, and it was really the amalgamation of a lot of different companies. So we had sort of Swoop over here in the east, which was Cirrus and DCSI. We had Node 1 in the west. And as we listed, really, we brought together sort of a lot of entities where we'd worked together previously. So James Spensley was the, uh, the founder of Swoop. We had Tony Grist, obviously the founder of Amcom over in the West. So really these two sort of heavyweights coming together again, excited us within the company and really has driven this passion now for sort of building the next telco. Okay, now Swoop, um, I guess for want of a better term, is positioned as a challenger telco. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a Telstra, it's not an MBN. And, and your philosophy... Uh, seems to be described along the lines of you deliver internet differently. So can you explain to us what that actually means in practice? It's actually, I think it's a really great tagline. It was something one of our sort of um, colleagues brought up probably six months ago. And we've been really looking at that to go, you know, this is the embodiment of our business. It's how do we do things differently? So obviously the obvious part of that one is fixed wireless. It's not in the ground. It's not delivered the same as all the other major telcos. But it's more than that. As I say, we took that and said, yes, we do fixed wireless. It's on the roof. It's different to what everybody else is doing. But how do we drive the business ethos now to be really different in the market? And I think that's part of the excitement I've got for this sort of presentation next week where we talk about sort of what we're doing with the channel, what we're doing with the business, and how we're positioning ourselves and how we're working with partners. And it is very different to what other telcos are doing. Yep, and, 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 and um, if you want to see Sean speaking at uh, our show, he's on 9am Tuesday, so first up. Um, now, I'm taking it you'll also be talking a bit about what you're doing with the channels um, at Swoop, because obviously that, that's the audience. You know, it, it, so, 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 so tell us what your strategy is in that, in that area. Well, again, with the channel, really we brought together Node 1. We had CountryTel in Newcastle and obviously Swoop as well. And within those, we had very different models that go into market. So Swoop was predominantly wholesale, very much IP transit. Node 1 was a mixture of what we used to call business partners, so sort of referrals, commission-based, and CountryTel was really a mix of the two. So we had these three great opportunities. And as I say, with this internet uh, delivered differently, we looked at channel delivered differently. So we took the best of these three different entities, got them together, sat down and said, okay, what's happening within channel? Again, how can we be different and how can we bring together? So we started looking at, okay, why are we saying no to partners? Now, partners want flexibility and the world is changing. So can we have an affiliate model? Very much in this, well, a lot of sort of entities have moved towards that now. So can we make it simple for a partner to jump on our website, find a product they want for their customer, literally put a code in and tag it to themselves or send it to their customer for verification and away we go. You've then tagged that lead, the opportunity goes to you and we pay you a commission. So how do we bring that kind of model, which is really simple, and also have the opposite side, which is a proper channel portal again, with all the flexibility that wholesale partners want and the products that we can obviously put on there. So that's IP transit, sort of ethernet services, voice services coming very soon. So we've got a lot of development happening within the business that's really gonna drive what we're doing in market. Okay. Yeah, now, uh, 
so Swoop, you're an interesting company, and I guess you, you use a lot of cutting-edge technology, and that means, you, I guess, more than some operators, you're thinking about what's going to be happening in the future in terms of how people use telecommunications, um, but, and not just how they use telecommunications, but where they use telecommunications and for what purposes. So can you, can you tell us a little bit of, I guess, the thinking at Swoop about how our networks are going to evolve in the future, and particularly in terms of how people work and how they use telecommunications? Again, it goes back to that whole channel delivered differently and the challenging the, the status quo in the market, because we're obviously not one of the big telcos, therefore we're not lumbered with history and past and systems, etc. So we've been able to look at things very differently and say, okay, how is the world changing? And obviously the last couple of years has had a huge impact on all of us on the work from home approach, obviously coming into the office, and I don't know about you, Graham, but obviously trying to get people back into the office is hard, hard nowadays. So we've gone, well, if this is the challenge we have as a business, how are our partners looking at that and how are they dealing with that? Because in the past, you would literally go into a customer, you'd sit there, you'd look at their network, you'd go, okay, you've got three main offices, you've got 50 people in one, 10 in the others. Okay, what can I do for you? Is it IP WAN? Is it now into SD WAN? But today, you have to suddenly stand back and go, well, actually, that may cater for those three offices, but there could be 100 people flexibly working from home and in the office. So how do we now look at those? And in the past, as a sort of major partner, you go, I don't do residential, I just do business, and I just want to do this focus of it. Whereas now with the affiliate model and the wholesale model sort of coming together and that flexibility, we can give the partners a whole network. So when they actually sit down with the customer, it's not, not only we're we looking at your main offices, Mr. Customer, we're now actually looking at all of your staff at home. How can we give them a better experience? How can we bring them all onto the same network and provide a whole of business solution? Yeah, in interesting stuff. Now, um, I, I can't let you go until <laughs> we talk about uh, an announcement that's come through from uh, Swoop this week. And, and that's the announcement of Swooper Fast. I, lo I love the name. I love the name. Now, this, this is cutting-edge stuff for Australia. You know, this is one of the first major deployments of millimeter wave in, in an applied sense. And talking about some pretty amazing speeds. So tell us about Swooper Fast. It's obviously our new millimeter wave, which we've just launched. We're rolling this out sort of across Geelong initially and then in Western Australia. So it's the first areas that we're really pushing into, but we love this product because it's, it's something a little bit different to gain in market. It's sort of, it's positioned between a TC4 and a sort of NBN enterprise ethernet. So it sits in the middle. So it's a really great sort of small business into sort of medium sized businesses where we're talking up to 500 meg speeds here. We're talking price points from sort of $89 upwards, depending on the speed you want. So it really is that sort of high speed approach that you've not been able to have before in market. Okay, well, good stuff. And Sean, thanks so much for coming in and for giving us a, a, a bit of a preview, a bit of some flavour about what you'll be speaking about uh, at the Comstay Wholesale Forum. And for people who are coming along, you can catch Sean first up, 9 o'clock on day one, Tuesday, November 8 at the Fullerton Hotel. There's still tickets available. In fact, I, I'll tell you what, it's been so successful. We've had actually have to expand the space at the hotel and there was luckily some extra room for us there. So... Um, it's it's surpassed our expectations and it's going to be good to hear more from Swoop and some of the other players in the space at the forum. Thanks for coming in, Sean. Thank you, Graham. Now, moving on, uh, we're going to talk about the uh, curly issue of universal service subsidies. It's a, a labyrinth of a topic um, and basically what we're talking about are, are 
the, the various programs that exist in Australia to subsidise loss-making telecommunication activities in the bush. Now, over the years, they haven't been developed holistically. They've been sort of layered on top of each other one by one, dating back decades to when Telecom Australia was responsible for rolling out copper lines in the bush. And then, of course, we've had things like um, DSL Internet and, and now NBN Broadband come along, and they have all their own various uh, schemes for, for how these things are subsidised. Now, there's now some uh, concerns in the industry that this has become overly complex and it's in it's uh, basically in great need of an overhaul. And speaking to that argument is Focus, Australia's fourth largest telco, and I have their Director of Government Relations, Luke Coleman, on the line to talk about it. Hi, Luke. Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me. Okay, now... Um, You've expressed your concerns about what's happening with universal service in a submission to a productivity commission inquiry that's looking at issues around what they call the digital dividend. Can you explain to me, uh, I guess, the concerns you have and, and the problems that you're describing? Sure. If you look at how regional telecommunications is funded today, you've effectively got as many as five overlapping programs, each of which is taking funds from either the taxpayer or carriers, the telecoms industry, to subsidise these services. It's not a holistic approach. They're different programs doing different things, but usually in the same places. So one single premise in regional Australia could have coverage from as many as five different regional funding programs. So they might have their standard telephone service, their home phone provided by Telstra. Now that's funded under the USO or what was recently rebadged as the Universal Service Guarantee. So that's about 250 odd million dollars a year goes to Telstra for the USO for a standard telephone service. Second of all, that same premise could have a broadband service that's provided by NBN's fixed wireless or satellite networks. Now that's subsidized initially through taxpayer funding for the NBN rollout, but then on an ongoing basis through the regional broadband scheme, which again taxes carriers and indirectly consumers for NBN to operate those loss-making networks. Now third, that same premise might also have a mobile voice and broadband service um, that's been funded under the mobile black spot program, again, a taxpayer funded program. Now, fourth, that same premise might also have a voice and a broadband service that's been provided by uh, a third party fixed wireless operator funded under the regional connectivity program. Uh, and finally, that same premise could also have an ADSL broadband service that's still provided by Telstra on its copper network because the USO also funds the copper continuity obligation within NBN's fixed wireless and satellite footprint. So each of these programs you might look at in their own right and say, well, that's a worthwhile program because it's improving mobile coverage or it's improving broadband connectivity. But when you look at all of them as a group, you see that they all overlap one another. They are all trying to solve roughly the same problem. And as a result, the total cost of these programs is greater than a billion dollars every year, whether that's coming from taxpayers or from carriers, therefore indirectly being a tax on consumers. There has got to be a better way to fund regional communications than spending a billion dollars a year 
in overlapping programs, providing overlapping technologies. Okay, now um, that that obviously is an enormous amount of money, and to put that in a bit of context, you know, for every adult in Australia, that's a, a couple of months of telecommunications bills per year. So it's some some mm. cross subsidy. Um, but the, the interesting thing is that you say that there's a very obvious solution on the horizon, and that is in the form of the global LeoSat constellations that are starting to be deployed. Can, can you explain how they can solve this issue? Sure. The, the reason I think LeoSats provide the opportunity to break the Gordian knot of regional telecommunications programs is up until now, all of these programs made sense because there was not one single technology that was capable of providing coverage for voice and broadband services across Australia's ginormous landmass. We had the NBN SkyMaster satellites launched and they can provide a level of broadband all across Australia and Australia's external territories. But because they're geo-satellites, they aren't capable of providing a reliable voice service. They'll have a latency of around 600 milliseconds, which simply isn't capable of replacing Telstra's old copper line voice network. That's part of the reason that we've got these duplicative programs that are running at the moment. And it's also a reason why we've continued to invest in programs like the regional connectivity program that funds terrestrial infrastructure to provide coverage in a defined geographic footprint because there simply hasn't been an alternative. Now, for the first time in history, we do have an alternative technology that is capable of providing both reliable voice and very fast broadband across all of Australia. That means we no longer need to have these individual defined geographic area networks, whether it's fixed line, fixed wireless, whatever else it might be using. So LEO satellites, as a, a quick update for people who might not be familiar with the technology, low earth orbit satellites sit about 300 to 500 kilometres above the Earth's surface. Now contrast that with traditional satellites like the NBN SkyMaster satellites, which sit about 36,000 kilometres above the Earth's surface. Now, when you've got geosatellites so much further away from the Earth, you cannot get past the laws of physics that a signal takes 600 milliseconds to do a round trip to get to that satellite and back. That's what makes voice unusable. That what it makes certain internet applications which are dependent on low latency, such as video conferencing or VoIP calls, also unusable. LEO changes all of that. You get about a 20 millisecond latency on a LEO satellite. Let's say that's 40 seconds if you're going for a double hop uh, to a LEO satellite. That is still well within the bounds of making a reliable voice call. So I think one of the reasons that LEO satellites completely changes the game here is that you no longer need to have these individual funding programs going towards terrestrial infrastructure serving a divine ge defined geographic area because you will have this network that is capable of covering all of Australia, the only thing that you will need to fund will be the consumer or customer premise equipment, the CPE, being a satellite dish. Now, those are sold currently for less than a thousand US dollars to install that. And then there's obviously the ongoing cost, the monthly cost of that service. LEO satellites not only provide a vastly superior service to, um, to a geo satellite, but they also 
have the capability of providing voice services. So you could potentially get rid of the universal service obligation, get rid of Telstra's that old copper network for voice services, also have a competitive alternative technology to geosatellites, um, which means consumers have choice for the first time. The whole reason we've got so many regional subsidy and funding programs is based on the idea that there will never be competition in regional Australia, that it is by definition a loss-making area that will have to be subsidised by either the government or industry. For the first time because of LEO satellites, we get away from that. We've got competition. You've now got a choice. If you're a consumer living in a regional part of Australia, it's the case that you definitely have access to NBN satellite services for broadband. You also currently have access to a voice service provided by Telstra over copper. In 99.6% of cases, you will also have a mobile voice and broadband service provided by at least one carrier. And in 98.5% of situations, you'll have the choice of at least two mobile carriers. Overlay that with the fact that you've now also got a LEO satellite service to provide broadband, and consumers have got a range of choices available to them. So it no longer makes sense to have a centralised government funding program when consumers have choice, you've got the ability to move away from that centralised system to a system where consumers can be directly subsidised for a service that they choose to use. If they've got 5G mobile coverage, they might choose to go for that. If they don't have reliable mobile coverage and they don't want to use NBN satellite, they can choose to use a LEO satellite service. So we should be subsidising individual premises or individual consumers rather than a, a centralised funding program. Okay. Now, the um, objection to the, the, those arguments, there's there's two that I can discern. NBNCO makes one of those arguments in its own submission um, that's been part of this Productivity Commission process. They say that if you, if you hand over your, your rural and remote um, markets to these foreign players then you're very unlikely to have the on-the-ground service and support capabilities that are required to keep those services going to an adequate level. Uh, That's one argument. The second argument is made by Mark Gregory, who um, he expressed this at the Charles Todd oration recently in Sydney, where he worries that if you hand over um, responsibility for these services to the foreign Leosat players, you, you lose a sovereign capability over um, your communications network. So what do you have to say to those two points? On the issue of sovereign capability, the reality is you cannot launch a LEO satellite network exclusively to serve Australia. The way the technology is deployed literally around the world means that these networks have to be global networks. LEO satellites, unlike traditional geosatellites, do not sit in a stationary position above Australia, providing constant coverage to a defined geographic area. So NBN's SkyMaster satellites, for example, there's two of them, and that is sufficient to cover all of Australia and Australia's external territories from Christmas Island to Norfolk Island. LEO satellites are constantly spinning around the earth because they're so much closer to the earth's surface. So you can't provide a LEO satellite network just to serve Australia because they are constantly moving around the entire Earth's orbit. Now, as a result of that, the chances of Australia ever having a sovereign LEO capability are very, very low. There's four providers at the moment that are rolling out. 
LEO satellite networks around the world. There's Starlink, which is a division of SpaceX. There's OneWeb, there's Telesat, and there's Amazon's Project Kuiper. Now, those four networks are all at various stages of deployment, but the reality is they're all being deployed as global networks because those networks, those satellites, I should say, are constantly moving around the Earth. It would be unbelievably expensive to launch a LEO satellite network on a sovereign basis only to serve the Australian market because those satellites are going to be spending most of their time in orbit covering other countries. And so I think we need to take a rational approach here where we realise that the investment required to provide LEO capability on a sovereign basis solely for Australia would be extraordinarily expensive. There is an alternative. Remember, the LEO satellite market is still in its infancy. If there is an approach where a global satellite provider, particularly if it's from a country which Australian has uh, an alliance with, like a United States-based satellite provider, if an Australian operator could provide a managed service layer on top of a LEO service, so that the network is controlled by an Australian sovereign company, even if the satellite infrastructure in the sky isn't necessarily owned by an Australian company, surely that would provide a sufficient level of uh, security or assurance to uh, an Australian government or Australian users that the signals that are traversing that network have a level of sovereignty which is acceptable. Because I think the alternative of trying to launch a sovereign LEO capability is simply fanciful and it would put the costs of the NBN into perspective because it would be so dramatically expensive, it would never get off the ground. Now, the other argument from NBN and the use of their own satellites. Now, NBN satellites provide a, a basic level of broadband connectivity. At the time that those satellites were designed and launched, it was quite cutting edge. But the satellite industry has moved so quickly over the last 10 years. LEO satellites didn't even really exist as a concept at the time that NBN SkyMaster satellites were being designed and deployed. And there has been an ongoing conversation for years over at which point NBN might be required to launch a third satellite. Now that idea no longer makes sense of NBN having a third satellite in the sky when there is currently one and soon to be four global LEO satellite networks that will provide much faster broadband speeds with dramatically higher uh, throughputs with voice services as a part of that. Why would the Australian taxpayer buy another satellite for NBN to provide additional capacity when there is now going to be a wealth of competition through the LEO industry. There needs to be a level of economic rationality about this. And I think that's a good reason for an organisation like the Productivity Commission to be looking into these issues. Yeah, now, as you just say, it's the Productivity Commission it tends to be pretty sympathetic to these lines of argument, but it doesn't make policy, it doesn't make regulations, and it doesn't write laws. Mm. So w where is the opportunity um, for this debate to go in terms of directly influencing outcomes? The Productivity Commission does have a great history when it comes to regional communications funding programs, and, and the research they've done in, into the USO in the past has been very useful. So if you recall back to... 2016-2017, uh, the Productivity Commission uh, provided input into the government's work at the time about what 
became the Universal Service Guarantee, what used to be known as the Universal Service Obligation. And we are quickly coming to a point where be half well we are already I should say halfway through Telstra's 20-year USO contract which was signed as part of NBN's definitive agreements with Telstra it was a 20-year contract that was signed at the time with a midpoint review now that midpoint review was meant to be conducted in 2021 last year it was delayed at the time and has been rescheduled for 2023 next year. So it is the perfect time for the Productivity Commission to at least be stimulating this debate over a more economically rational way to fund universal service delivery. When the USO contract was signed with Telstra back in 2010, NBN didn't have satellites. It hadn't deployed its fixed wireless network. It made perfect sense at the time to continue funding Telstra to maintain its copper network due to the lack of alternatives. Here we are 10 years later, and with 10 years to go on that USO contract with Telstra, it no longer makes sense to maintain that contract for another 10 years because we've got NBN satellites in the sky, we've got NBN's fixed wireless network on the ground, we've got mobile coverage in more places thanks to the mobile black spot program, but most importantly, we have national coverage through LEO satellites. The first has now launched being Starlink, the SpaceX uh, satellite system. There are three more global LEO satellite networks hot on its heels. And so now is the right time to be having these debates. So while you're right, the Productivity Commission doesn't make policy. It does provide a really useful uh, research function and uh, will stimulate debate in industry about better alternatives and certainly more economically rational alternatives to the current matrix of regional funding programs that are out there. Okay, well, um, I think this is a debate that's got a long way to go, absolutely, and uh, maybe over many years. So we may be having conversations about this into the future, Luke. Well, thanks so much for having me. I look forward to continuing the debate, the debate and uh, hopefully we get some better outcomes in future. Yep. Thanks for joining us. That's Luke Coleman, Director of Government Relations at Focus, talking about their submission to the Productivity Commission, calling for a complete overhaul of the universal service regime and, and perhaps a look at LeoSats as, as solving the problem of how you get communications out to the bush. Well, that's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll see you next time.